Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. We've got uh, lots to talk about because we've got to figure out uh, with all the things going on in college, how that's going to affect pro scouting. And, of course, what's going to happen as far as what the NFL is going to be able to do to figure out what they can do for the draft, how dangerous it's going to be, and nobody better than Matt Williamson to be able to talk about that. Matt, of course, has been in scouting with the Steelers, other teams also. He's been writing. I work with him at ESPN.com and uh, you know had just great times talking football. He, he's got the uh, podcast and a lot of writing things. We'll get into that later to get you up to speed on what he does. But I don't know. Uh, I know talking to general managers, Matt, it's going to be really complicated to try to get this drafting process done, particularly now with the uh, Pac-12, the Big Ten not having football, opt-outs on some of the uh, teams that are trying to, or at least conferences that are trying to do it. How is anybody going to get this done accurately? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And obviously no one has great answers. <laughs> yeah, and that's just the times we live in. Hopefully it's for the short term. We're sort of fortunate that compared to other sports, the NFL has not got hit and got hit extremely hard by this compared to some other leagues. But I keep going back to and sort of a one, you know, with my hometown, which is your hometown, you know, the, the stable teams like the Steelers and people that have had long term scouting staffs, I think are gonna have a huge advantage every step of the way with this, in that the big a huge thing in the scouting world is just gathering the right information and knowing where to find it from. I mean, maybe that's the lunch lady at Auburn or your buddy at the tight end coach at LSU or whatever, but teams that are really stable and have been doing this a long time and know the right people to ask to get the proper information, I think will start to come to the top. And we might look back at this offseason and be like, wow, there was a lot of guys that went in the third and fourth round that we just had questions about that end up being first-round type talents and maybe vice versa, too. You know, first-rounders that shouldn't have gone that early that people just didn't know about them. And the other thing I've been thinking about a lot, too, John, is if you're an area scout, the last thing you really did for your job that was normal was go to the last combine. I mean, since then... You haven't gone to a school. You haven't seen your GM or director of college scouting in person. This time of year, usually those people are at the facilities of their team and doing a little bit of pro scouting. They're going to um, you know, other games, preseason games for the NFL, because you need all those scouts to do that. Well, none of that stuff's happening. And I started thinking about it, like if I was – an area scout, and I had all that time where I wasn't traveling, I wasn't doing any pro scouting, I would have gotten really ahead on next year's class. So maybe these guys that are opting out or not playing, these guys already have a really good report written for them. Well, that's, that's going to be the thing that's going to be uh, so difficult. And, you know, again, what you bring up, of course, uh, you, you mentioned uh, our lo- our location has been, because I came from Pittsburgh, you're in Pittsburgh, you work with the Steelers, uh, cover on the broadcast with the Steelers, and then I'm on the, uh, I see Seattle, but I think what you're bringing up is accurate because, you know, the teams like Pittsburgh and Baltimore and uh, Seattle, 
and, and, and they, they always figure they're going to be in the playoff run every year. And if that's going to be the case, they're drafting between 21 and 32. But as you know from the drafts that you were involved in, is that no team is going to have more than 20 players as first-round grades for their teams. I mean, you got maybe 16, 18 right. at the most. And so that's why, and it really started to peak in 2015, that now there's more failures uh, that don't work out between 21 and 32 than there have been for the longest time. Like, for example, there's about a 75% failure rate uh, between 21 and 32. And again, what I classify as failures is a lot of them never get to the end of their rookie contracts. They get traded, yeah. cut, you name it. And so because of that, I mean, team like Pittsburgh last year was smart. They traded uh, first-round pick to Miami for Mika Fitzpatrick, and that worked out great because now they have one of the top five defenses for talent. Seattle traded two first-round picks and more to get Jamal Adams, probably the best safety in the league. And, you know, Seattle's always been big in trading out of the first round and gathering picks and all that stuff. And so uh, it's almost like, okay, you can have these picks between 21 and 32, but the chances of succeeding and getting a Pro Bowl player out of that is very difficult. Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe all the listeners don't realize it, but the difference between the 10th pick and the 22nd pick is a lot greater than the 22nd pick and the 48th pick. You know I mean? Because there's a tier of first-rounders that would be first-rounders any year. Sometimes that's 12 guys. Sometimes it's 18, but it's never more than 20, like you said. And the team that comes to mind along those, those you know, when you were talking there is the Rams. I mean, the Rams are going to go five years in a row without a first-round pick one of them after a Super Bowl appearance, and they would have been the seventh team had the you know in the playoffs last year if the rules would have applied a year ago. But they are they they still make a lot of picks though. I mean they have traded down over the years. They've gotten a lot of comp picks. So instead of picking in that twenty to thirty two neighborhood, they're taking you know extra thirds and bringing in ten guys instead of high end guys. And it's interesting. I mean it's sort of working out for them, sort of not. But you mentioned Seattle. I mean, that's a huge factor in the Jamal Adams trade to bring it back home to the Steelers. You know, we did a study recently that if Kevin Colbert, who really has been the, the second most successful team in this era behind New England, would have made his average pick, the pick that the Steelers earned for every year that Kevin's been here, they would basically be picking 23rd or 24th every year. I mean, so you never get a shot at those premier edge rushers or quarterbacks of the future unless you trade up, and then that costs you. So that's a great point. Um, I wonder if people will you know, keep going that direction, and I'll give you my first for a second and a third and just take more cracks at it, especially because you just don't know as much about the players this year. Yeah, and that's what uh, you kind of – because I know that the, the different GMs and scouts and all that, their their big fear is, okay, so now – because I, I went through a mock draft the other day, and I went three rounds, okay, and I counted up with opt-outs for players and then the Big, tw- uh, the big Ten and the Pac-12. I had to eliminate 23 23- – of the draft choices. So 23 of 96 were already off the boards. And as far as being able to get anything new this year, and that included about 12 first round picks. And so now what you're looking at, for example, you look at the quarterbacks. I mean, two of the top three quarterbacks are either opted out or don't have the chance to play. And so you're getting them on a one year basis. And that one year is a tape of 2019. That is tough. 
That's really tough. And I'm glad you brought those top quarterbacks up because there's an excellent chance that those two will only have one year of starting experience, you know, like a Trubisky coming out. And what I think is really interesting, John, is look at even the first overall pick the last couple years. At this time, you know, a year ago, did anyone think Joe Burrow was going to be the first overall pick? I mean, at this time last year, Kyler Murray was an Oakland A, and, you know, he has just taken over for Baker Mayfield. The year before that, no one, everyone knew who Baker Mayfield was, but no one thought he was a potential first overall pick. And then the year before that, Carson Wentz goes second overall, and, and few people knew who he was at this time last year. So, I mean, those are premier, premier picks that changed over the course of a year that we're not going to get. Well, Joe Burrow even addressed that just about in the last week where he said if he was part, if he was in this year and he didn't get the chance to play, whether he had opted out or the school would have taken away the chance for him to play, he says, I'd still be looking for work today and I don't even know if it would be in football. Because, again, that's yeah. that last year for him was so huge because it put him at the top of the draft. But without that last year, you don't know where he would have been placed in the draft. Yeah, I mean, some team may have gotten Joe Burrow in the sixth round and he's the next Tom Brady, or he, he ends up in the XFL, or like you said, never gets a chance. So you don't come into the league, you know, with a lot of pedigree and a lot of resources invested in you. It'd be really hard to get snaps, especially if you only have 14 padded practices to, to show off what you could do as a training camp arm or a late round pick. It's amazing. I mean, we're just not going to have as much information as you. So what, because again, you would have to figure there's going to be more mistakes now coming up in 2021 than in most years, just because there's so much uh, you don't know. And that, like the one thing, for example, there's a budding group of general managers that believe, you know, if you see guys, uh, two things on uh, draft choices, it's like, okay, if they have an injury history, that usually that history carries into the NFL career. And then the second thing is you have more guys that are young, 20, 21 years old, who really, when you start to think about it, maybe their bodies haven't been exposed to enough football. If they haven't played a lot to be able to handle the NFL. Yeah. And, and I feel for some of these guys too, that were at a, at a big program, Alabama, whatever, and are premier players, but they're stuck behind a premier player that happens to be a year or two older than them. And so you get very little tape of those guys, or maybe they suffered an injury as a freshman, as an 18-year-old, and now all of a sudden they get labeled as injury-prone or not developed enough. But in reality, they are, and just nobody knows the answer because there's no proof on tape. So now what's going to be the strategy for scouts, for general managers to try to get through this, knowing that maybe, you know, as much ultimately as maybe 30, 40 percent of the draftable guys you don't have any knowledge on or any additional knowledge on? I think there's probably two things that you could do in that. First of all, well, a couple things. I mean, I think you, like we said, to start the show, you're going to trust your old veteran scouts to go dig up the information. I mean, somebody that's been in your organization a really long time has come through with you with valuable information behind the scenes year after year. You trust that scout, and if he stands on the table for a player, you, you just are confident in that regard. Kind of like we talked about before, too, maybe we're going to see more and more trades of first-round picks for known commodities, but then, then you got to pay them, and we have cap issues, too or trade down so you can at least take 
more bites at the apple, even if it's not as big of a bite? It's a great question. I mean, I bet everyone, all the, the decision makers are, you know, racking their brain right now saying, hey, this is terrible. We don't have as much information. But the smart ones will also say, this is an opportunity. You know, anytime that, you know, in history that things have gone catastrophically wrong, opportunities arise and smart people that think outside the box can capitalize on it. Yeah, and that's one thing I think we've now seen in the last uh, three, four years is that there's more of a willingness, particularly if you're a team that figures you might make the playoffs, to make a trade and you know try to get one of those top-edge guys maybe before they get their second contract. I mean, we saw Chicago, even though they're not a very good team and they haven't drafted well, mm-hmm. you know, they made the trade for Khalil Mack. I mean, you saw that uh, Dallas... You know, the Cowboys ended up trading for Amari Cooper. Uh, you saw the Indianapolis Colts and Chris Ballard. You know, they traded a first-round pick to get DeForest Buckner. Uh, you saw Seattle and their moves. And, you know, you, you're getting guys that are top 10 picks, or at least considered to be, like, top 10 picks, coming into your team that you would never get drafting 21 to 32. Yeah, and, and those are great examples. And I could even expand on it with Laramie Tunsil, Minka Fitzpatrick, Jalen Ramsey, I mean, these are premier young guys that at least for a short time are cost-controlled, but then you can franchise them. And you, you get a top talent that if Jalen Ramsey's coming on the draft right now, he's a second pick overall, or, you know, Tunsil would be the best tackle in the draft. I mean, all those guys are elite talents that you're talking about. Well, and you lead to a very excellent point because you're talking about the, the teams with the experience that know what they're doing and have the good scouts, good GMs. But I think what we'll also see, well, we continue to see more mistakes out of the teams that haven't been good. You know, the teams that, uh, you know, seem to be... You mentioned like, the Bears. Yeah, the Bears. I mean, Jacksonville. Right. Because uh, you know Jacksonville had that one run, but I mean they've been drafting pretty much in that top group, uh, top ten for the longest time. Tampa Bay, I know they got Tom Brady and they'll probably make the playoffs, but they have nine years without going to the playoffs, and they've had you know a lack of success. Yeah, I would imagine. I would think that some of those decision makers that have struggled will look at this as fool's gold. Is wow, people are giving away first round picks cheap. I'm going to jump on it. But if you miss on that guy and you went all in, you know, sort of like the Bears. I keep thinking about the Bears because lately they consistently trade up for their first pick, including Trubisky. And, you know, those two picks that they threw to go one spot to go get Trubisky end up being Fred Warner and Alvin Kamara. <laughs> you know, I mean, that doesn't mean those they would have taken those two. But, you know, if you're going to give me three picks for one, I'm all I'm all ears. Could you imagine how Matt Nagy feels about this? You know, because when he was at Kansas City as the quarterback coach, he was the first guy in the building on Patrick Mahomes. This is when he was a chief, yeah. first guy in the building. And so all of a sudden, he would make the other coaches on the staff when they were at home on a Saturday, you know, watch Texas Tech football to watch Mahomes. And then the second guy that jumped in there was the general manager, Brett Veach. And so as time went on, Veach then starts nagging Andy Reid, saying, hey, you got to look at this guy. And he goes, ah. I just got the Mel Kiper uh, mock draft here in late December, and he doesn't even have Mahomes as a top 10 pick. So all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> they go ahead – and the Bears trade up to get, or they make the trade uh, Buffalo did to get Mahomes. Nat Nagy goes to uh, goes to Chicago in the same year, and they traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. Could you imagine how his head's got to be spinning? What's happened because he was the first one on Mahomes and was right, and now he's stuck with Mitch Trubisky. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You're 100% right. And I didn't realize all that history. But maybe if it was up to him, they would have left that draft with Mahomes, Kamara, and Fred Warner, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to Trubisky and missing two picks. Amazing. I mean, uh, and unfortunately, I think we're going to see a lot of those mistakes this upcoming draft. Oh, yeah, no question. So now one of the things that's starting to circulate is, I guess, should the draft be moved back next year? And the feeling I get is that's not going to happen. You know, they can't only take it to June the 2nd. But what's the purpose? Because, again, there's going to be so many more picks that you want to have. And maybe what you do is that you have two combines, one in December and then the regular combine in February. So now you have more time to at least talk to these players and meet them. Yeah, I, I, I've heard the two combine things suggested too, and I think that makes an awful lot of sense. Or maybe even regional combines, so people don't have to travel quite as much, you know. And you could certainly get more one-on-one time with each player because I know people put a lot of stock in the interview process at the combine. I don't. I mean, I've been in those rooms, and it's 15 minutes with a horn sounding to, uh, to start and a horn sounding to end. And, you know, players can kind of fudge their way through 15 minutes after you shake hands and pleasantries and all that. And um, if you could get more time to learn the people, especially if you can't bring them to your to your building, that would be really useful. So maybe a couple combines or something along those lines would be really smart. Okay. Matt Williamson does such a great job of rating things projecting things, putting numbers out there. So let's go to all your vehicles first, of course, with your email, without your email, but of course uh, your Twitter handle along with where you can be heard and where you can get the written word. Okay. I'm at Williamson NFL on Twitter. I do a daily podcast, Locked On NFL. I do a daily Steelers show through Steeler Nation Radio. And right now we're doing two a days for training camp. And I'm working for Pro Football Network too. I'm doing some writing there. Some other side things as well, but check me out on Twitter at Williamson NFL and I post everything there. Hey, Matt, thank you for educating us on Schooled with a Professor. This was great. Thank you. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.